Well, hey there, writer. Welcome to the Resilient Writers Radio Show. I'm your host, Rhonda Douglas, and this is the podcast for writers who want to create and sustain a writing life they love. Because, let's face it, the writing life has its ups and downs, and we want to not just write, but also to be able to enjoy the process so that we'll spend more time with our butt in chair getting those words on the page. This podcast is for writers who love books and everything that goes into the making of them. For writers who want to learn and grow in their craft and improve their writing skills. Writers who want to finish their books and get them out into the world so their ideal readers can enjoy them. Writers who want to spend more time in that flow state. Writers who want to connect with other writers to celebrate and be in community in this crazy roller coaster ride we call the writing life. We are resilient writers. We're writing for the rest of our lives and we're having a good time doing it. So, welcome, writer. I'm so glad you're here. Let's jump right into today's show. Well, hey there. Welcome to today's Resilient Writers radio show. My guest today is Canadian author Michael Bluin. Mike, welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. I'm really excited to talk to Mike because we have known each other for a long time. We're not going to say how long because we like to pretend that we're still really, really young, but it's been it's been a while. So let me introduce Michael Bluan to you. So if you don't know Michael, he is the author now of six books, much more in the way of work, but six books. And they are, I'm not going to lie to you, and War Down Trust, two books of poetry. A third book, poetry, prose kind of straddling the line there, I Don't Know How to Behave. And then three novels, Chase and Haven. Chase and Haven is one of the best books ever that I have ever read ever. Uh, Skin House and I Am Billy the Kid, also great books. Um, he's the award-winning author. He won the Relit Award in Canada in 2009 and 2020. Been shortlisted for the Amazon First Book Award, the CBC Literary Award, like just big long list of shortlisted um, as well, and uh, lives just outside of Ottawa. And he's also, I want to say, a longtime former high school teacher. Got to say that because my dad was a high school teacher. And so I know I know the, the work involved in that. Out of, so, out of 27 jobs, it's definitely the best job I've ever had. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So um, how long has it been now since you've been, I'm going to say retired, but actually writing full time? Writing full-time is uh, five years and a bit now. Nice, nice. How's it feel? It feels really good. You know, when I left teaching, Rhonda, I loved it so much, especially high school, that I was quite worried that uh, that I would miss it and that I would uh, regret my decision. But I woke up the first morning and uh, opened my eyes and smiled and uh, got to writing and haven't stopped since. So what's your routine like now? As a as someone who has, in theory, it never works out in practice. But in theory, you have the whole day to write. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, um, yeah. Time uh, contracts and expands in interesting ways. So I, I, my my practice previous to uh, retirement was to come home after what was sometimes because I ran a uh, drama department and we had productions going, and it would sometimes be a 12, 14 hour day, and then I would come home and write at night, which means I'd see my my wife every second Tuesday. And now, I guess the routine now is that I get up around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning uh, because that's when my dog gets up. 
and she will not be denied. And uh, then I work out for a couple of hours. I, I go through my ritual of hand grinding coffee beans and uh, making my coffee. And I'm usually at the desk by eight o'clock and um, working and working, you know, takes various forms. As writers know, sometimes it's actually writing things down on paper or using the keyboard. And sometimes it's staring blankly at the wall. Sometimes it's listening to music. Sometimes it's reading. But but I'll, I'll spend the morning writing. That's my general routine, aside from the almost 24 hours a day that I'm writing in one way or another. In your head. In my head, in my dreams, uh, on my walks, uh, putting, I've got uh, over 3,000 notes on my iPhone. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fairly constant. Yeah. And um, in the background here uh, for, for listeners, I can see, I'm going to count one, two, I see three guitars and I know, and there's some paintings on the wall. I know you paint as well. What, what role does, do, does the music and the painting play in terms of the relationship to the writing? I used to say that I never write without music playing. And that used to be the case, but it's only sometimes the case now. So for every project that I have, and I have uh, three or four on the go now, I'll have a separate Spotify playlist that I use for those. Um, but more often than not, I'm listening to white noise when I, when I actually compose. Okay. And the painting is really completely uh, divorced from writing. It's, it's something that I, 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 I fool myself into thinking or I treat myself into thinking that when I sit down to write, I'm trying to write uh, the best thing that's ever been written in the history of the world. I'm, I'm not, of course, but that's my objective. And when I sit down to paint, I'm just painting because I'm You're not a playing. painter and it doesn't matter. You know, I feel when I'm writing, it matters to me intensely. And um, painting just doesn't. That's just, it's just a release for the mind. And that doesn't get in the way for you, Mike, like this desire to write the best thing that has ever been written in the entire history of the world. That doesn't like freak you out and make you want to run from the page because it, it, no. it does me. I have to talk myself down from that. No, I, uh, I'm probably most at home in the world when I'm on the page. Uh, or, or I should maybe say, Rhonda, out of the world. Uh, I'm, I'm completely absorbed, and I, I, I teach writing in various forms, and um, I always try to convince people that there's no such thing as writer's block. Uh, that there's just times when you should be actually making the pen move across the page or the fingers across the keyboard, and there's times when you shouldn't be doing that. Doesn't necessarily mean you're not writing when you're not doing that. Um, it's all process to me. But when I'm actually engaged with the page, I'm, I'm in a completely different realm uh, and feel very at home. So it's, it's not that urge to um, do something tremendous is not conscious, I guess, while I'm doing it because nothing is conscious while I'm doing it. And you enjoy the process of writing, I'm hearing. Like very, it's the very thing much. You enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not something I, I, I've never had to uh, make myself write. Can you take us back to when you first started writing? Like, when did you first think, oh, I, th I think I'm a writer. I'm going to give this a go. Well, it was 1921 and uh, <laughs> I was just a young man. Uh -huh. um, I, I guess the first, uh, the first, I can actually remember the first novel that I quote unquote wrote. I was 11 years old and I had been watching, I think it was, uh, it was a Cary Grant movie. 
on an old black and white TV and something about the storyline in the movie or the way that it opened uh, made me think, well, I could write something like that. I could write a book and it would be easy. And uh, <laughs> about three quarters of a page in, I realized it wasn't quite as easy as I thought. And uh, then I guess the next thing I wrote was probably a, uh, a short story in high school that I that actually finished that time. And I thought, hey, that's that seems pretty good. And uh, my teacher, who I much admired, actually thought it was pretty good, too. So that was very encouraging. And then I uh, went to film school because I had this uh, idea that I wanted to make movies. And I realized during the process of actually making movies in film school and then going to work in the industry for a while that that I didn't want to make movies as much as I wanted to tell stories. And that writing on the page was a... I'm not going to say easier, but uh, less involved. You didn't need 200 people on staff. You didn't need what now is like $150 million or you didn't need lights or sound equipment. You just needed the idea. And uh, so I guess that's, that's the, those are the three things that got me going. And when you were writing, when you were younger, you were also working full time, I'm assuming, for a long yes. time. Yes, when I say that I've had 27 jobs, I think it's up to 28 or 29 now. So, yeah, always working full time. And how did you how did you end up writing in and around that? So your first book, I'm not going to lie to you. When did that come out? That would have been uh, 2007. 2007. So so I uh, I have always been writing, but that doesn't mean I've always been publishing. My uh, I spent so long not getting published that I started. And what was that? Were you trying to get published or? Oh yes. Yes. I was sending out to magazines all the time. Um, short stories and poetry and, uh, mostly short. Rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. For how many years, how many years were you getting? Well, it's 25 years from starting to send things out to, to a book. 25 years. (gasps) Wow. Mike, how did you keep going when you just kept getting rejections and. Well, I almost didn't. Uh, so, so many, many years of sending, and I did have, I did have two stories published very early on. Uh, when I first started sending things out, very quickly, I had two stories published in in very good magazines, and I thought, well, this is going to be easy. This is great. I was right. I'm going to be a writer. Here we go. Strap, strap your seatbelts on. And then it just, you could hear crickets for a year and another year and another year and just not, and, and, you know, my, my submissions kind of tapered off. I wasn't sending out as much because I was getting all of this rejection, but I was still convinced that I was going to be a writer. And, and now I'm into my early forties. So we're talking 20 years, 20, 20 plus years. And there was a day when I, I, I was living outside of Ottawa rurally and, and I uh, thought, well, I'll go into uh the city and I'll get the latest edition of writers. What was it called? It was that big book that listed all of the uh, places. Oh, marketplace, writers marketplace. Yeah. Mm. Um, And this is pre-internet. So, so I drove into Ottawa to buy that and and I I get it and I'm leafing through it. And then I get back in the car and I'm, I'm driving back to my house and it's there on the car seat beside me. And once in a while I glance over at it and and I just start thinking, you know what, maybe it's time to pack this in. You know, I've got a young family, I'm teaching, I've got a new house in the country that I'm restoring. And I've been doing this for more than two decades and it's really not going where I thought it would go. And you know what, 
maybe I can get my money back on this book, but I'm just, I'm just not going to bother anymore. And, uh, when I got back to the little town that we were living in, uh, the, the, uh, the post office was in the convenience store at the corner and I went down there and I opened up the, uh, the little mailbox to get my mail and I pulled out an envelope and this is back in the days when we used to submit things by mail. Oh yeah. And when you do that, you recognize right away the envelopes that are acceptances or rejections. You, you know, they're not like any other envelopes because you mailed them yourself. It was self right, stamp. Yeah. So you recognize <laughs> when, when something yeah. was coming back and I thought, oh, oh, here's another one. And it was from, it was from desk camp magazine, which is no longer running, but at the time it was the place like that was you the wanted objective in there. for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I opened it up and I could tell right away just by looking at the, the letter that it was an acceptance and it was the acceptance of seven poems, which was unheard of. And they were going to publish them all in one issue. And so that was, you know, I, I guess if you talk about breaks, that was my break. It was certainly the break in the sense that, Oh yeah, I think I'll change my mind about not doing this anymore. Right. Maybe I will right. do this. Oh, and that, the timing. that led to meeting people in Toronto and that led to, um, it led to the first poetry book and you know, eventually everything else in agent. Right. All right. that stuff. So good. I'm so glad that happened. So um, I wanted to ask you about uh, working in multiple genres. So you've mentioned short story, you've mentioned poetry. Uh, obviously, you're a novelist. Are you always working on di- projects in different genres and moving between them? Or do you like devote yourself to one and finish that and get it out? And what's going on for you in your you know, in your mental space and in your process as you move from one to the other? I don't really write short stories anymore. Uh, not, not from any lack of interest in doing so, but I'm just really, really busy with novels. And, and I guess that process for me is um, I'm always working on two to three to sometimes four projects at a time. And I find I have to do that just to, like, as you said, there's in that relatively short amount of time that I've been publishing books. Um, it's, it's a book every couple of years, if, if not more often. And uh, I've got one book that I'm writing now, another that's contracted, and two, uh, sorry, two more that are contracted and, and two that are in the process. I have to write that much to keep up is what I'm trying to say. And so uh, I don't have time to do things that aren't novels, except for poetry. Um, which I'll do sporadically now when an idea hits me that I know is not part of one of the novels. And I'm really lucky in that. So, so I do have all of these poems that I've been writing since 2007 that haven't had a book to go into. And uh, Anvil has just contracted to, to do a, a book of all of that poetry that we have formed into. It's not quite a novel, but it, it tells a story. It's a narrative using all of that poetry with, with new poetry as well to tie it all together. Mm, so at, at least all of those things that I've been distracting myself from the novels with has a home, mm, which is, which is great. really, really nice. Yeah, that's great. And it's, I um, mean, currently it's like a 300 page poetry manuscript. So I'm sure there's going to be whoa. some editing involved. Whoa. But, uh, yeah, probably, probably. Um, and I wanted to ask you about collaboration. So you have, I, I want to say made a practice of collaborating with other writers, other artists. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm, I'm thinking specifically of War Down Trust, but 
you know, just, just in general and what it is that, why you, why you like to collaborate and, and what you feel, uh, your own work has, has, uh, gained from that. Well, writing is, uh, it's a very, or can be a very isolating process. Um, you're, you're pretty much alone with your characters or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're composing, you're, you're alone with that a lot of the time. And I find it very freeing to, uh, involve other people in that process. Um, I find it's good for my process and uh, I just find it's, uh, it's a little less isolating. And then uh, obviously you're going to be inspired if you're working with somebody that you, you admire. Uh, so I've worked uh, with various people, with uh, Gillian Say, with uh, Bill Bissett. And, uh, and, and also I should mention to me, the editing process is always a collaboration. Mm, very true. And, and so you spend all this time shut away with this project that you love. And then some people, uh, well, I know some people are, are kind of hesitant to hand that over to someone else. But I always think that's one of the most exciting, interesting uh, aspects of the whole process is that you take this creation that you're so attached to and you see it through somebody else's eyes. And I'm, I'm not really talking about copy editing. I'm talking about substantive editing where someone that you trust, uh, my, my agent, Hillary McMahon, is also very, very well-versed and, and, and excellent at this, is, is seeing your work through somebody else's eyes and having that, that new perspective and then collaborating with them on, on fine-tuning it and, and making it hopefully the best that it can be. How did you end up with Hillary? How did you, how did you get your agent? That's always a thing that I, writers uh, want to know, right? How did you get your agent, Mike? Yeah, exactly. As, as you know, and they asked that as if God bless them. And, and I would have asked the same thing as if that somehow is, uh, that's the, that's the key to the door. That's the magic pill right there. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's not, people have to know that you can, you can be, you, your agent can be just as easily rejected as you can be. Uh, it's not some kind of golden key to to publishing. However, that being said, it's it's a tremendous help. For I find it's a tremendous help just in the in the simplest of aspects of not having to do all of that work of submitting a novel all on um, your own. Mm. If if you know if younger writers are thinking of of the process of submitting poetry or submitting a short story, submitting a novel is is substantively more. There's more involved in it. And so if you're doing multiple, it's, it's a lot of work. So to have somebody just kind of magically take that off your plate frees you up to do more writing. And that's a tremendous advantage. But, but you were asking how that came to be. And I get asked that question by a lot of uh, younger writers. And um, I always have to kind of search my memory to, to think of how it did happen. And I think after uh, Chase and Haven, my first published novel uh, did so well, there was a lot, there was a lot more interest than there had been previous to that. Right. And, but, but if I remember correctly, it was still a cold submission uh, of the manuscript for my second novel, which has, which has never been published. Actually, sorry, that would be my fourth novel because there were two unpublished novels before Chase and Haven. I think before that's Chase important. And Haven. I think yeah. that's important to wow. mention too, is that, mm. that you know, um, I, I, I do see a lot of young people getting success with what seems to be the first thing that they've written uh, in book length form. And that's terrific. And, and that has always happened, but it certainly didn't happen for me. And I don't think it's the norm. I, I think yeah. usually there are a couple of novels before one hits. So after Chase and Haven was quite successful, um, I cold submitted the manuscript for what I thought was going to be my second novel. And it was read by uh, Chris Casuccio at uh, Westwood. 
And he was not an agent at the time. He was a reader at that time. He's an agent now. Um, and he suggested it to Hillary, who's the executive vice president of Westwood. Um, if people are not familiar with Westwood, it's, it's, uh, it's a big agency. And so I was very excited that he suggested it. And I thought, well, you know, she might not like it, but she did. And uh, that's how, so that's how I got an agent, even though we didn't go ahead with that particular novel. So, and what, okay, tell me that story. What, what happened to that book? Like, so did you, did they try to go out with it and it didn't sell or? No, no. I, I hate to say that I'm not going to be able to remember that, but I don't think I'm going to be able to remember it. Maybe, maybe I've blocked the it. Trauma, the trauma. I do, I do remember <laughs> going down to Toronto to go out with Chris and, and Hillary to a, a fancy restaurant and uh, sign a contract. I remember that part. Right. And I remember that, that that signing was on the basis of the success of Chase and Haven, not on the basis of the new manuscript. And, you know, I mean, I, we're... we're and we're it's reco- just we're recording a somewhere. podcast, so I'm not. I can't yeah. sit here and and rack yeah. my brain trying to remember what yeah, happened yeah. To that manuscript. But it, it's not sitting in a drawer anywhere because uh, two years ago our house burned down. <gasps> so it's it's well and truly gone, and that's that's not a bad thing. I think in, oh, retro- wow. in retrospect. Okay. Wow, that's wow. Okay, and then you wrote Skin House. Um, no, no, it would have been. Uh, <laughs> The behave one. Um, I, don't I, don't know how, how to behave. I don't know how to behave. Would wow. have been, no, War Down Trust would have been next. War Down Trust. Okay. Which is not something that my agent would have represented because it's poetry. Right. But yes, so uh, Skin House was the next published novel, I think. Right. Yeah. And did they ever turn around to you, Mike, and say, hey, what are you doing? Come on now. Stop, you know, no. give us something we can sell. No, they never nope. pressured you. No. No, nope. they're That's absolutely great. wonderful in that way. And I, and I know... And I often joke that, uh, yeah, I'm doing this now, which must drive my agent nuts. Right. You know, because it's completely unmarketable or it's completely uncommercial or it's completely experimental. Right, right. But to her credit, she has never actually told me that it drives her nuts. (laughs) Right. So I'm very appreciative of that fact. Mm. But I am working, you know, I thought thought Skin House would be commercial. Uh, there There were varying opinions about that at the time. And it turned out that it was, and it turned out that it won the relit for the second time for me and that it's going to the moon with NASA and it's, it's done very well. And, (laughs) but but I I guess what I'm trying to say by that is I have no idea what's going to be commercial or what's going to hit. And I don't think really that very many people do. I guess if you're not writing in genre, if you're, if you're writing literary work. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Fair point. And so what's your response to that? You just write the thing you want to write and, the, yeah. you know, the market will do what the market's going to do. You can't worry about that. I, I just write what I write. I write what comes out and, and there it is. And I always say that uh, after the barcode goes on, the rest is always up to other people. And, and you can't you can't do anything about that. You know, you can you can work your social media and, and, and do all of that kind of thing as much as you want. And I do because it's expected and because, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's there to use as a tool, whether you think it's effective or not. I don't know. But it, it's um, you don't really have any control once the book is in the store or on the Internet or barcoded. So I just I just do what I do. And, and so, like I'm working on a novel right now that's almost 300 pages. And I think it's, I think it's really commercial. I think it's, it's very, very viable commercially, but um, 
I also know that I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on other things that, uh, one that just got a a sizable grant that I, that I, I hope somebody's going to publish, but it's completely experimental. I've not quite seen anything quite like it. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. don't know. There's, there's the, the, the quote of the show. Mike Luna says he doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> Write that down. He doesn't know. On writing with Mike Bluan. That's that's the title <laughs> we're going with, Mike. I'm just letting you know. Sounds so um, I, w- I did want to ask you about promotion and, uh, you know, and I'm going to use the term self-promotion, right? Because it's the thing we have to do. We have to get into it. And you and I are both white. So it comes with a certain ease of being in the world, doesn't it? Right. Like that, that what that privilege is, is knowing that we don't P. have to fight as hard. Capital P. And so, but you don't seem to shy away from self-promotion. And I really love that because, you know, as you say, it is expected. So to shy away from it is, you know, to your detriment as a writer. But a lot of writers think, God, I could just never, like, I could never reach out to somebody and say, hey, uh, you know, can I be on your podcast? Or I could never like make a trailer and, you know, of my book and get it up on social media. I could never. And, and part of what they mean is, oh, I'm going to have to figure out the tech. But the other part of what they mean is, what if people think I'm self-promoting? How do you deal with that in your head? Or does that even occur to you? And, and what's your philosophy on, yeah, on promotion and how you feel about it? Because you're good at it. It occurs to me, uh, thank you. It occurs to me that people will think that because they do think that and they do say that. Uh, they and say you have that. To ignore- people oh, say yeah. that to you. I love people. <laughs> people say all kinds of things to me, especially in direct messaging where it can't be seen on the internet. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of, you know, I'd, I'd say I'm going to use the fir- the phrase public figure, but I, I think there are probably only two writers in Canada that are actual public figures. But but by that, I mean someone who puts themselves out in public or, or, or are seen in that way. I mean, as soon as you're in that realm, You've got to be able to shut some things off and ignore them. Um, but I actually wrote this down this morning, and I was I was going to bring it up in terms of uh, writing process and in terms of you know uh, how to actually write. But it, it applies equally, I think, to how to self promote. Um, and that's just you know put yourself out there. And and what I what I originally was intending to do with that was was to point out that when you are writing, I, I see I see a lot of writing from young writers in, in various formats, whether I'm adjudicating for the council or or um, teaching or people just send me stuff. I'll see people who are you can tell in the work that they're holding something back, and to me, every writer is different, I guess, but but to me. If you're going to do this, if you're going to engage in the written word to express emotion, to to try to delve into what it is that makes us human and what it, it is to be in relationship with other humans on the planet, if you're going to do that, then just do it fully. To me, people sometimes run into the mistake of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try skydiving. So I'm going to go and get in the plane. I'm going to put the parachute on. I'm only going to jump three feet though, and then I'm going to get back in the plane. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to skydive, you got to commit. And that's what writing is to me. Put is that about being page. vulnerable? Like just yes, turning it, it all out? Or, yeah. or to not care about the fact that you're being vulnerable. Like just open it up and let the faucet go and put it on the page, no matter what the cost. And don't think about it. Don't second guess yourself. 
So I guess in a way that that applies somewhat to self-promotion is that if, if, you, if you believe in this project, if you spent years creating this object that's going to go out in the world that, that you want people to see, because if no one engages with it, from my point of view, there was no point in you doing it in the first place. I know some people write and it's for themselves, and that, that's a completely different thing than publishing books. If you're publishing books, if nobody, if nobody reads it, then there really wasn't any point in doing it. What's been most effective for you when you're doing your promotion, do you think? What's, what's, what's sort of something that you think, yeah, I got to do this all the time because it really makes a difference? Back to the, the Mike Bluner quote, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I got uh, a t-shirt that has that on it. Um, I have no idea. But what I, about you I do? Of, I see. Go ahead. I, I, throw, I throw things at walls and, and I, it's very hard to tell what has an effect. I know I've got readers. I know I've got lots of readers that I, I don't know who they are. So something's working, but it's very hard to judge what. So I just kind of do everything that comes along, everything that I can think of. And you, you mentioned do, trailers. Um, I really enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, you do those. So that's that's your film background there. That's something yeah. you already knew how to do and you're you're applying it. I didn't know how to do it uh, the way that the way that these kids do it nowadays, Rhonda. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Because we used to work with film and actually cut it and splice it and glue, you know, oh, right. uh, tape it together mm-hmm. and do all that. But um but when I taught myself how to do it, because, well, again, why, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, one of the things, I think a real gift that you have, Mike, and I just, I want to say this because it just makes reading your work such a joy, um, is you really inhabit a voice, right? And uh, I've even seen you like be, you know, when you're online, you're like sharing fragments of work and the, you, it's like, who, I, it's not Mike, it's, it's the character. It's so it's so firmly inhabited that that must come from drama it does come from drama yeah Yeah. it does it it comes from film and it i mean i the we talked about me myself teaching high school i was teaching drama uh, writing and drama primarily for for uh 10 years that i was at high school and so do you approach your writing as like let me find the character that i want to inhabit and then inhabit them on the page basically yeah, when I when I watch uh, videos of actors describing their process, and I, I do a lot of that, uh, it, it sounds exactly the same to me as when I create a character. I'm, I'm when I'm writing dialogue, uh, which is one of my favorite things to write. I'm I'm there in the scene. So if if two three people are sitting in a in a restaurant talking to each other, I'm sitting at that table. I'm anticipating what the other characters are going to say, and then I'll be that other character when somebody says something and I'll respond to it. So it's, it's very much like working a scene in theater. I love that. Actually. I love that as a theater kid in my teenage years. Um, it, I think it hadn't occurred to me to, to use similar tools and processes. I'm totally going to try that now. Totally going to try that. Um, Tell me about the moon landing. So what the heck? So I, I see this on your social media feed um, and, you know, you've gotten uh, quite a bit of publicity about it. So so what is it and why does it matter to you? Well, so briefly, what is it? It's it's uh, Skinhouse going to the moon. Uh, it, I was actually originally I was leaving for Cape Canaveral today uh, because the uh, initial launch was going to be next week and I, it was going to be. I was actually going to be uh, talking to the CBC about it from Cape Canaveral next week, which is still something that I'm doing, but uh, there's been a delay in that launch and it's now scheduled for June or July. So I'll be doing the same thing. Okay. Then. So 
as to what it is, that's what it is, a, a copy of my book on microdisc going to the moon, landing on the moon and staying there forever uh, with NASA. Um, wow. And then my more recent book, I Am Billy the Kid, is scheduled to launch with SpaceX next year uh, okay. and go through the same process. Once there, things aren't blowing up. Exactly. And well, that's the reason for the delay also with NASA uh, <laughs> now is that um, the reason it's not launching next week is that three weeks ago. So so the, the rocket that's actually taking my book and uh, my friend Carolyn R. Parsons books and other books, it's not just mine, uh, to the moon uh, is in Cape Canaveral. And the lander that will land on the moon with the books in it is in Philadelphia. But the test rocket which is the same as the rocket that's going to go is in Houston. And uh, I can't show you the picture, but I got the picture on my phone. It blew up. So that, so that kind of puts right. things on a bit of a hold. And was it your novel that resulted in it blowing up? No, you, you didn't no, take that personally. I, 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 no. It can't be my fault because my novel Much was still... explosive novel was on that. <laughs> it was so explosive and the rocket just couldn't cope. No, and, my no, novel okay. was in Philadelphia. So we're clear on oh. that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it was still in the lander. So, but Mike... There's nobody on the moon. No, why, why does it matter the moment, that the book is going to the moon? But anybody that, you know, I mean, obviously there are plans to, to change that uh, oh, in the future. Okay. And then anybody that is there uh, using it ostensibly, I'm, I guess one of the primary uses is going to be um, that it will be used as a base to get to Mars with, with humans. Mm. So any of those humans with a library card will be able to... <laughs> A lunar library card. But the other, how do I get one of those? I got. I finally got my British Library reading card. How do I get a lunar library card? I'll hook you up. All right. I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. But the the other <laughs> aspect of that is um, perpetuity. It's it's the the thought that I, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, been blessed with my first grandchild just a little while ago. And oh, uh, I often thank you. I often think. You know, when he's five or six or 10, I'll be able to stand with him, look up at the moon and say, you know, Pop's, <gasps> Pop's book is okay. right up there. And Okay, I got chills. There, All there right, you go. I get it. That's, yeah, there you go. That's yeah, it. it landed for me right there. Yeah. And, and you know, as a writer, wow. from a writing perspective, it's, it's also that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with this planet, but mm, my, well, yeah. my books are mm. on another planet. Mm, so... Mm. Wow. They're, they're, they're out there and somewhere. I mean, the publicity has been great. You can't knock the publicity, right? Uh, absolutely. You know, take it, take it and write it as, as, as long as you can. And I've also got to meet a lot of people and a lot of space nerds like myself and oh, okay. just, you know, cool. geek out together about space. <laughs> Fun. That's great. You have sat on a lot of arts juries who award grants. You just mentioned receiving a grant um, and that's always a joy, right? Like just that like free money to write. Oh my Lord, what a gift that is. And, um, but you've been on the juries that have made those decisions and I have as well. So I thought, let's talk about that. The process of being on, you've been on juries for the book awards in Ottawa for the Canada council for the arts. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what that's like for those who might be, you know, applying to grant juries and hoping to get, uh, get a bite. Well, let's start off by saying for, for people who are, you know, starting the process of being a writer, writing, and again, this is what is Michael Blue, I know, not, almost nothing, but so take it for what it's worth, but writing is competition. And, you know, it's best probably not to think about that while you're writing, but it's a plain fact that there's an enormous number of people who want to publish books, 
gets get books published. And there's a, you know, if you're talking about commercial trade publication, there's a very small number of people that are able to actually do that. So by definition, it's competition. And council grants are, are the same. There are hundreds of thousands of people applying for grants and, you know, a limited number of people get them. Um, so I, I always advise those people to not be intimidated by the process either by what you're doing, you know, and thinking about, about that competition or, or uh, the process of actually filling out all the forms and getting that done. Because I, I see a lot of people online and I get a lot of messages from people who, um, who are intimidated by that. And, you know, when, when you really, once you've done one application, it's very easy to do others because you know the process. So I think that would be a primary piece of advice. It's a, for me personally, it's a tremendous uh, privilege to be able to adjudicate because you get to see work from all over the country, from all kinds of writers. uh, And you really get a sense of what's going on as a snapshot of what's currently taking place in the country in terms of producing literature. And I find that really, really uh, not just interesting, but invigorating. I feel like what I learned most about being on a jury uh, for awards and grants is how subjective it is. Like get three different people other than the people that are sitting at the table right now. And it's a completely different list that comes out the other side. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say that's true? I, I find there's there's two parts of that. What you're saying is true. But then the other part of it is that on, on any jury that I've been on, um, which is probably five or so now, uh, there's always a very, very strong professional sense of consensus in the room. But I think you probably, I mean, I've never been in one of the other rooms, right? So whether, whether, whether those people would come up with a different decision, it's entirely possible, I guess. And, and that's, that's another thing that, that it's important to stress to people thinking about the process or, 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 go, or maybe being discouraged by the process is that, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it would be nice to get that grant. But the fact that you didn't get that grant this time doesn't necessarily mean all that much about the work. To be honest, it could mean that your work is crap. It could mean that because people do apply with crap. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could mean that you have a wonderful project that people just didn't connect with at this time, in this place, with this Or they had five grants. They had five yeah. grants to give and you were number six. Yep. You know, that happens too, right? And, or with Canada Council, you know, they gave, I can't remember the numbers, but they, they gave 63 grants and you were number 64 on the list. And, and, and two people in that room thought you should be on that list and three people didn't. So you're not, you know, and maybe next time it'll be different. Next time. Exactly. So final words, Mike, imagining that somewhere listening to this is someone who's in that space you were at looking at that writer's marketplace and thinking, hey. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I've tried and uh, it hasn't been working out and I'm thinking I'm going to give up. Yeah. Persistence is key. Don't give up. I think back to uh, the first, I was very excited when I got my first writing quote unquote office, the first space in my house that was devoted to writing. And uh, it was the basement of a 160 year old house. Basement's not the right word. Cellar crawl space. Uh, right, <laughs> right. right next to the cistern that took all the water off the roof and stored it with moss actually growing on the wall next to the desk. Okay. And uh, things falling from the timber ceil- ceiling above me. 
you know, to to what is now kind of a luxurious, spacious, nice office, uh, gone from nobody wanting to hear from me even in a in a in an envelope uh, to people asking for stuff from me, asking me to do things, asking me to write things, or looking for another book. It can be a long process. And I said, I've seen, I've seen lots of young people have success far more quickly. In some ways, I worry for them uh, in that because they're in their young 20s and having that level of success, there are concerns that go along with that, but tremendously, tremendously enthused and, and excited for them as well. But there, there are people like me who take a long time and it's a lot of head knocking against the door and there's so much opportunity to let it slip away and to, to not give your voice the voice it deserves. There's so many opportunities to just let that slide because there's so, there can be so much rejection and frustration, but you can't, you can't do that. If you have something that you think is a unique voice and if you have something that you think you need to say, you best do it and keep doing it. You best do it. Well, good luck with everything. I'll be uh, looking for that uh, moon landing. And um, thanks for being here today, Mike. Thanks very much, Rhonda. Enjoy the show and I've enjoyed being part of it. Thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today and for listening all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Resilient Writers Radio Show. While you're here, I would really appreciate it if you'd consider leaving a rating and review of the show. You can do that in whatever app you're using to listen to the show right now, and it just takes a few minutes. Your ratings and reviews tell the podcast algorithm gods that yes, this is a great show, definitely recommend it to other writers. And that will help us reach new listeners who might need a boost in their writing lives today as well. So please take a moment and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. And I promise to read every single one. Thank you so much. 